Hey, morning, everybody. My name is Matt Komar. I'm the youth pastor here at Grace. Very excited to uh, be sharing with you this morning. And just one, one special welcome again to week one of this Advent season. What a special time of year. Uh, quick question. Who, who knows? They're in for sure next week. Week two of Advent. Stop hunger now. Who's in? Who's coming? Thank you. Thank you for the excitement. Who's bringing somebody with them? Who's got the list? Who's put it out there on Facebook? We're going to feed 100,000 people. Listen, this event is so cool, first of all, and so fun, second of all, and so powerful, most important of all, because it is just perfectly in line with the very heart of who God is. I love this quote. Uh, it says this, when the people were hungry, Jesus didn't say, is that political or social? He said, I feed you because the good news to a hungry person is bread. Isn't that true? Isn't that true for the millions around our world who are starving, who are hungry every day? A meal is just such good news. Listen, the bottom line is these meals bring hope. Every meal that we package brings hope, hope to, to continue on, hope that my life is, I, that I have not been abandoned completely. Every meal brings hope, 100,000 packages of hope, every scoop of rice, every portion of soy that you will all pour into these pouches will bring hope. There's a picture of a, of a gal behind me. I actually had the, the opportunity to meet this person a couple of years ago when I was teaching in DC public schools. I was working with a chess program that brought the game of chess into some of the schools in DC. And, um, and I got to meet her, her name is Fiona. She has this incredible story and it's, a, it's kind of a story that brings hope. It started with a meal. It started with a meal. Fiona grew up in one of the poorest slums in Katwe, Uganda. And she was starving. Her story is one that she was, she was starving. But she heard of this school in her community where if, the, if you went, you would receive a meal. And she didn't know where it was. And actually people, the other kids, they weren't really advertising where it was because the more kids come, the less there is to go around. In fact, her own brother was going to this school, this program, and not telling her where it was. Because it's just all about survival. So she decides she's going to have this meal. She is going to get her hands on one of these meals. She follows her brother in secret to this school, to this program for a meal. She gets a meal. She looks over and in this, in this building, there's a group of students playing chess. And so she starts playing chess and she continues to come back day after day for the meal. I'm coming for the meal. I'm coming for the meal. I need to have a meal. I gotta have a meal to survive. But she continues to play chess and learn chess. Right now, she's a national champion of chess in Uganda. And she travels the world playing chess and inspiring people with her story. This began with a meal. This is the power of what's happening here next week. This is the kind of story that we get to be a part of next week. 100,000 meals, 100,000 packages of hope that will be delivered. Well, this is week one of Advent. The message this morning is about hope. Next week, we're going to be delivering hope all over the world. Advent is all about hope. Advent is the arrival of our hope. Advent is the arrival of hope for our world. And just a disclaimer at the very beginning of this message, this message is going to rely very heavily upon this fundamental claim of Christianity, that Jesus Christ had a nature that was radically different from every other person who'd ever walked on the face of this earth. 
that he was God that entered flesh and he was human the way humanity was meant to be human. And he had this nature that was radically different. And because of that, he was actually free. He was actually free from, so, from all of the things that we deal with, that we struggle with, that actually rob us of a fullness of life. Isn't that what hope is all about? And Advent's about hope. Hope is about the fullness of life. Jesus said this, uh, this, this really cool thing. He said, the reason I've come to this earth is that they might have life and have it to the full. His, his hope and his desire is for us to have full life. Where there are so many things that steal and rob. He says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. There's so much that robs us of a fullness of life. And Jesus came that that might not be the case. And again, this message is relying heavily upon this fundamental claim that Jesus had a nature that was radically different from every other human. And because of that nature, he was free from all the things that rob us of full life. And then this, this mysterious, this amazing promise that through his death and resurrection, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that I actually have access to his nature. And just, this is just the fundamentals of Christianity. He has a radically different nature and I have access to it access to a nature that will, that will bring me fullness of life. Uh, we're going we're gonna to base our conversation about hope this morning just out of a very short story in the Gospel of Matthew. It's the story of one man's hope that we read, and we're just really going to do two things. One, we're going we're gonna to think about what he's hoping for, and we're going to try to identify with him in his hope. Because we, at the end of the day, a lot of us, we all hope for the same things. And then the second thing we're going to do is we're just going to examine the thing that he places his hope in. Because hope is so precious, isn't it? It's so precious. And some would argue that it's so vulnerable and fragile. And so we want to think about what exactly are we placing our hopes in? This, this precious thing we call hope, this fragile thing we call hope, where are we putting it? Because the reality is, if we put our hope in the wrong thing, it can be disastrous and it can be very painful. Quick story before we jump into the scripture for today. My junior year of college, okay, was a year where I had to grow up a little bit. Year where real life kind of came on full swing. Freshman and sophomore years, pretty cushy. Had lived on campus, had the dorm, had that nice sweet meal plan, you know, the, the car, the, the campus card is all loaded up, you go to the cafeteria, you swipe the card and you have access to this bounty of food, right? Mom and dad paying room and board, it was great. I had a sweet on-campus job where, you know, you sit behind the desk and you kind of wave people through into the rec center or whatever it is. Very cushy. Junior year, everything changes. You move off campus, you got to pay rent. Got to get a real job. I was, my junior year, I was... Uh, working at a grocery store called Valesky, stocking shelves and bagging groceries. Because not only you got to pay the rent, but you got to pay the bills, right? You got to have some heat in that house. And then you got to buy your own groceries. So quick story, halfway through the first semester of my junior year, things were pretty tight. And I remember one night I go to the, to the refrigerator and I open the refrigerator door and I look in and there's not much there. I'm thinking, okay, well, I got to eat something. Got to eat something. So I start digging around. Start digging around and I open one of the drawers and in the bottom of one of these drawers, I find some lunch meat ham. And I, you know what? I don't, I don't know where it came from and I'm not sure how long it's been in there. But I thought, well, this is something, isn't it? So I'm not foolish. I'm not crazy. I'm not just going to go eating anything in the refrigerator, right? Because I'm a college kid. I'm smart. So test number one, I open that bag of lunch meat ham and I give it a sniff. 
I think, okay, I've smelled worse. I'm not sure it smells exactly how it's supposed to or it's the freshest smell in the world, but it wasn't the kind of smell where you open the bag and you're like, woo, you know, I'm not eating that. It wasn't that. So I'm like, okay, it kind of passed test number one. So I'm like, on to test number two, I take the lunch meat ham out and I kind of feel it and I'm like, oh, it has like kind of like that slimy lunch meat feel to it. Okay. You guys are disgusted by me. But I'm back to the smell. It smelled okay. So I'm thinking, if the sliminess is the problem, I can take care of that. I might be okay. So I take the ham out and I take it over the sink and I rinse this ham off. I'm thinking, I get rid of the slime, I'm good to go. No problem. So I give it a thorough rinsing. I kind of, I didn't use soap, although maybe I should have. <laughs> Thinking back, if you know what's coming down the line of this story, right? I rinse the ham off. The slime is gone. I build my sandwich. I'm eating my sandwich. And I'm eating the sandwich and I'm thinking, I hope. Here's hope. Here's how it connects. You're wondering how does this connect? I hope. I hope. I hope that that thorough rinsing did the trick. I placed my hope in this thorough rinsing of the ham that I'd be safe. But I placed my hope in the wrong thing. Because 20 minutes later, I had my answer. And placing my hope in the wrong thing called all kinds of pain. If you know what I mean. Okay, look, that first point was both humorous and serious at the same time, if you think about it. Place our hope in the wrong thing. It can cause some pain. Okay, let's, let's jump in. To our, let's read the scripture. Let's read the story, the story of one man's hope in the gospel. We'll, we'll pray, and then we'll dig into it. Uh, the story that we're going to be looking at uh, in the gospels this morning is in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew begins, and he says this. When Jesus had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came to him, and bowed down to him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way you have chosen to reveal yourself through your word. We ask that this morning that your spirit would be doing a work, that you would open up our eyes and open up the eyes of our hearts that we might see a truth in here that would matter to us. Ultimately matter so much that your will would be done in our lives. Help us this morning. Amen. So the way Matthew tells this story, it's that this happens directly following Jesus' famous sermon on the Sermon on the Mount, which happens very early in Jesus's ministry. In fact, the way uh, Matthew tells the story of Jesus's ministry is that Jesus is kind of, kind of secret for the first part of his life until he's about 30. He's doing his carpentry. He's doing his thing, but he's not coming out and being public like I'm the son of God. But when he's about 30, he comes out and he has this public baptism. Immediately following that, he goes out into the desert for a time of testing and he comes back and he begins his work. He begins to make himself known and his power known. He begins to teach in the synagogue and he begins to heal and he begins to make a name for himself. And you read the gospel of Matthew and any of the gospels really, and it's clear that very early on, it didn't take very long, Jesus has these huge crowds following him. 
And, and, and early on in his ministry, he takes these crowds up to the mountain and he does this famous sermon on the mountain. And then he comes down and we have this story of the leper coming to him. And what's interesting about this, and, and we're just gonna talk about it a little bit, but it's interesting that the leper comes to Jesus alone. See, we, we read the Gospels and we, we see that early on in Jesus' ministry, he's healing all sorts of things, but leprosy is not yet mentioned. It doesn't say yet that, that Jesus healed leprosy. It says he heals all kinds of diseases and people who are hurting and, and he's teaching all kinds of crazy things, but he hasn't healed a leper yet. Later on in the Gospels, you actually see groups of lepers coming together, right? You see groups of lepers coming to Jesus for healing. But in this very first time, you see a leper coming alone, which is interesting to me because lepers don't actually live alone. Lepers live in community. Leprosy is, remember, this skin disease that is incredibly dirty and it's so filthy and believed to be so contagious that they were not allowed to live in the city with the clean people, but they were actually put outside of the city to live where lepers live so that their, their disease would not be contracted by any of the clean people. And they lived in communities outside of the city. This is interesting because a leper comes alone and you can think about, you can think about the lepers in a community outside the city hearing about who Jesus is, can't you? Hey, have you heard about this Jesus guy? Word is he's healing all kinds of diseases. And then he's showing up in synagogues and he's teaching with this incredible authority that no one's ever really heard before. Some people are saying he's the Holy One of God. Some people are saying he's this. And the lepers are getting word of this. And you can imagine the one leper in the community saying, hey, everybody, like, maybe this is our guy. Maybe this is our shot. Maybe this is our hope. Maybe he's the one for us. Maybe he's the one that will free us from this thing that is, is really robbing us of a fullness of life. But the leper ends up coming alone, which means these other lepers in the community, they're saying, I don't know, man. It's a little early. We've heard about all kinds of diseases, but he hasn't healed a leper yet. I don't know. It's too risky. Think about the shame. Think about the risk. Remember, so lepers coming out of a leper community and coming around people who are clean, you have to endure a lot of shame, and it takes a huge risk. You've got this, this disease this skin condition that's so contagious that when you come around people who are clean, you have to announce your presence. And, and some, some literature says up to a distance of 40 yards away because a lot of the people in the community believe that the wind can carry the disease 40 yards. So 40 yards away, we'll just use that for this morning. 40 yards, we'll just use that. Um, but 40 yards away, you're, you're letting everybody know that you're a person approaching them who has this disease, who has leprosy. So you come up and you're, and you're shouting so that they all hear, I'm a leper coming your way. And this is shameful because the, the response, I'm sure, is not very nice. You know, people don't hear a leper coming, leper, and they're like, oh yeah, let me just stop what I'm doing and happily move aside so this leper can do what he needs to do, right? No. We, we can identify with this. Who, who rides the metro to work, right? And who's sat next to someone who's like sneezing and coughing and happy, hacking on the metro, Right? And this is just a common cold, but someone's sneezing next to us on a train and coughing next to us on a train. And we're thinking, come on, man, like take an Uber to work for one day <laughs> or just take the day off, but don't bring it up around all these people. You know, and we turn and we look at them like, come on, we move away. And this is just a common cold. This person, we're, we're here we're talking about a skin disease that is so foul that they're not even allowed in the city, right? There's so much shame involved. And then the risk, the risk that... 
If you endanger clean members of the community, that you can actually be excommunicated from the family. See, the thing about leprosy is, yeah, you can't live in the city. You've got to live outside where the other lepers live, but you still technically, still technically maintain the rights of being part of God's family. Unless you put, because you're a leper, the clean at risk, and you can lose your rights altogether. There's a huge risk involved. And so you can imagine these lepers kind of talking. Maybe Jesus is our, is our guy. Maybe he's our hope. And some lepers, because he comes alone, some lepers say, no, no, not, not ready for the shame, not ready for the risk. And actually, as I think about this, I actually it's reminiscent of the type of conversations that I have with a lot of my siblings at family weddings, okay? Because here's the thing about Komar family weddings. Uh, the Komars love to dance. They love to dance. And so all kinds of fun is had at family weddings. So you've been to weddings where everybody is fired up about the dancing, right? And it's really fun and it's awesome. And it goes by fast and you're like, well, the music stopped, we gotta go. Oh man, we're, but you've also been to weddings where nobody's really into the dancing and it's kind of lame. And you're like, when is this wedding over, right? Comar family wedding, as soon as that music starts, like everybody floods the dance floor because they love the dancing, except for one Comar. Me. I'm not the dancing type. It's just bad. But what happens is, because I see everyone else having all this fun, I feel like I'm missing out, like they're experiencing life to the full right now. And I'm sitting here with my, sorry, excuse me, with my salad. (laughs) At some point, at every Comar family wedding, this is what happens. I'm finishing my salad, and I think, Okay, it's time. I put my salad and my fork down. I'm like, I'm going out there. And everyone at the table goes, no! The risk, the shame, don't do it. In fact, at the last family wedding we went to, I made this decision. I went out. I'm like, I'm going to endure the risk. I'm going to endure the shame. I'm going to dance. And I'm dancing with my wife, Robin. And this is like this huge 12-piece band. And we're having a great time. And I'm actually dancing. I'm letting loose. And one of my little sisters comes up to me. And she's like, she thinks she's so funny. She goes, ha, she dances over. She's like, ha, she's like, you guys are such like that old loser couple right now. Which, I'm like, it's about time somebody came over and was just real with me, but that really made Robin mad because Robin can actually dance. But apparently my leprosy of bad dancing rubbed off on her. Anyways, listen, this leper comes alone. This leper comes alone. Later on in the Gospels, lepers have heard that lepers are being healed. Lepers come in groups. This leper comes alone. He's alone in his hope. His hope is this. This is the guy who can free me from what is robbing me of a full life. Because of this thing, the fullness of my life is diminished. It's destroying my relationships. It's destroying the opportunities I have to to be with my kids or to have friends. The fullness of my life is robbed because of my leprosy. The the talents that I have, the gifts that I have, I can't use them to build up the community of God. I can't, the fullness of his life is being robbed because of his leprosy. And he says, maybe Jesus is the one who will free me from that. Can we not, can we identify with him in this? We don't have leprosy, but if we're honest with ourselves, I know if I'm honest with myself, I can identify with this man. Because I look at me and I'm like, there are things about me that, is, that, are, that are robbing me of an absolutely full life, life to the full. For instance, and we're just going to be honest. Like there's, there's, it, there's a thing inside of me. There's an instinct, part of my nature that causes me 
to be very quick to anger. Like I get angry quickly sometimes when something's out of place or out of order or somebody's doing something wrong or something I don't like. I can get angry very quickly. Like instinctually it happens and I try not to, but, but it's like an instinct and, and it robs me of a full life because it damages my relationships. Or another thing that, that I struggle with, I go through periods of time where I can be obsessed with what other people think about me. I can spend so much time just honestly wondering what are they thinking? And that robs me of a full life because it causes anxiety and it causes fears. And I, and I kind of clamp up and, I, and I'm, you know, maybe not going to act the way I would normally act because I'm just really obsessed with what other people think. And it's just a couple things that rob us of full life, but man, there's so many things that we struggle with. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's an addiction to pornography that's robbing us of full life and we can't shake it. Because this, this addiction is, is numbing us to the people around us. They're numbing us to, my, to our spouse who we're supposed to love. Maybe it's an addiction to social media. And, I, and, and I've got this, and instinctually I'm just, I find so much satisfaction in, on my social media apps that it's actually robbing me of satisfaction in my real life relationships my real life, my real relationships, the satisfaction I find in those are, is being diminished because I'm so obsessed with social media and all the, the, the good stuff that I see on there. This is what he's hoping for. Maybe Jesus is the one who can free me from this thing that is robbing me of life to the full. That's what he's hoping for. And I can identify with him in that. Well, let's continue on in the story because we've got to talk about what he's placing his hope in. Okay, the story continues. It says this. The leper came to him and bowed down to him saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Lord, if you are willing. In other words, Lord, if you are different from every other person on the face of this earth, I have hope. Jesus, Jesus Christ, who I've heard you might be the Holy One. If there is something different about you, I have hope. If your nature is not the same, if you are human, if you're human in a way that nobody else is human, I have hope, is what he's saying. Because you gotta think about we're going to think about how this story would play out like in real time. Okay. The leper decides he's going to go find Jesus. So he strikes out. He doesn't know where Jesus is. He just hears that Jesus is around, maybe in the countryside, maybe in the city. So he strikes out. And the first person he comes across is maybe a farmer or something. Okay. And he, and he approaches the farmer and he, and he gets within 40 yards. Again, we're just going to use the 40 yards. And he says, hey, leper approaching leper. And the farmer says, stop right there. Leper, what are you doing? Why are you approaching me? And he calls out, I'm looking for Jesus. Do you know where he is? Have you heard where he is? I blocked my microphone. Sorry. I'm looking for Jesus. Where is he? And the farmer says, I don't know. I don't know if you should go. I, I heard there's a crowd of people around him, leper. I'm not sure you should go find Jesus and endanger all those people, right? I, actually, just go back to your leper community and, and maybe pray that, 
that God will heal you or just go back and pray. I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to tell you where Jesus is. But the leper says, listen, I'm going to find that Jesus guy. And you're going to tell me where Jesus is. And he starts approaching the farmer and he's saying, listen, you're going to tell me who Jesus is or I'm going to keep walking toward you. Oh, you don't want to tell me who it is? 40 yards, 39 yards, 38 yards. I'm coming closer. You're going to tell me where Jesus is? I'm not going to stop until you tell me where Jesus is. And the leper says, okay, fine. Stop, 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 stop. I'll tell you where Jesus is. It's just my imagination. Play along with me here, okay? I heard he's up on the side of a mountain with a crowd of people. So the leper takes off and he approaches the crowd. And it's the same thing again. He gets within the crowd. Everybody's at risk. So he starts letting, making himself known. I'm a leper. Here I am. Here I come, right? And the crowd begins to turn and the crowd begins to do what? Back up. The crowd begins to back up. The crowd begins to part. The crowd begins to retreat as the leper approaches. And this man's thinking, I found the crowd. How do I know which one is Jesus? How do I know who he is? Is he going to be the one in the middle of the crowd and everyone's crowding around him? Or is he going to be the one maybe at the end of the crowd, slightly up on the hill? Is that, how do I know which one is going to be Jesus? And so he continues, he pushes on. I got to find Jesus. He pushes toward the crowd and the crowd begins to back up. Every, stake, every step this leper takes forward, the crowd takes a step back, except for who? Except for one person. except for one person who has a different nature, except for one person who is human in the way that nobody else is human. And you can imagine that the hope of this leper begins to soar off the charts when he sees one person standing there, not backing up. His hope is in who Jesus is. His hope is in the nature of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ has a nature that is different from every other person who has ever walked the face of this earth. Because if that's possible, I have hope. To just say a quick thing about the nature of Jesus, because the opportunity presents itself. Everybody else is backing up. Why? Because being human the way Humans are human, right? We become, we're self-preservers. It's in our nature. It's our instinct to self-preserve. In, in our broken relationship with God, in our, in our broken view of our lives and our bodies, we develop these, these you know, different attachments to our, to our flesh and our time in them. And we, we, we end up living life in a way that says, I must protect this at all costs. And I have to defend this and I have to preserve this. It's our nature, it's our instinct. Except for Jesus, he was human the way humanity was meant to be human. We were never meant to be self-preservers. We were never meant to be attached to these bodies in a way that causes us to put our well-being before others. We just weren't. Can you imagine what the world would be like if that wasn't the case? And you think about, think about being a self-preserver, which, which I am, I have that nature, that instinct, and how it robs me of a full life. My, my instincts to self-preserve rob me of full life in a couple ways. One, because there's fear involved. And two, because at some point, I'm gonna have to make a decision 
that puts my well-being in front of somebody else, I'm going to have to be selfish, and selfishness and a full life just don't go hand in hand. Look, Jesus' nature was so radically different from every other human that has ever walked the face of this earth. And that gives us hope because the promise of the gospel is that his nature can become my nature through the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants to remake me into the image of Christ, transform my nature, and ultimately free me from all of these things that rob me of full life. This is our hope. This is why Advent is a season of hope. Advent is the arrival of hope for me, for my nature, for our world. Because there was one that had a nature unlike any other. And God has the power to remake me into that nature. I'll just close with a story. A few years back, uh, I actually was, was in a place where I wasn't, I wasn't drawing on the hope that comes along with who Jesus is and the power God has to transform my life. And um, I was dealing with um, some situations where that thing I shared with you earlier about how it's instinctual for me to be quick to anger, how I can kind of fly off the handle when things are out of order or things are a mess. Like, I was dealing with that. Um, but actually, I'm not telling you the story. Let me tell you the story. I was teaching in D.C. public schools. Okay, and uh, one of my students named Carmelita comes into my classroom one day and she comes into the classroom and she stops just inside the door and um, she looks to her right and there's a row of desks and a row of students right inside the door and Carmelita comes in and she stops and she waits for a minute and then she just takes her hands and she leans over and she grabs everything on those first two desks and she just hurls them across the room. And then she goes like this to the student. She goes, what? And then she stomps through the classroom and she sits down at her desk and she stares at me, just giving me the look, giving me the eye. Now, I wish this was my nature, but it's not. I wish my nature was to see Carmelita the way God sees her, to, to, the way God sees her that I would see not just this student who's coming in and making a mess, causing disorder, disrespecting my classroom and its rules. I wish I, I didn't see that, but I did. I didn't see that this was a student who's like, who's really hurting. A student who has endured all kinds of traumatic things in her life. That wasn't my nature. My instincts were the, the, the prior, the previous one, the one where I just fly off the handle because I'm quick to anger. And I look at her and I say, Carmelita, what do you think you're doing? And you did this and you can't do that. And I, and I take off on her and say, you got another thing coming. And I say, get out. Out of the classroom, Carmelita. Not doing it in my classroom. Quick to anger. And I go home that night and I'm talking, I'm sharing with, with Rob and my wife about the day and I'm telling her this story. I'm saying, man, you won't believe what Carmelita did. And, and then, but, but you know what? I like, I said this to her and I said that. And, I said, and then I kind of was telling Rob the story. And then I remember saying this one thing. I remember telling Rob, I said, the thing that they need to realize is I'm just not that patient. And I said it with such, like, in such a strong way. Like, this is what it is. This is my nature. These are my instincts. They're going to have to learn how to deal with it. Their problem. We have dinner, and uh, I've got some time um, before I'm going to do some grading or some lesson planning. And I'm like, I'm going to go work out. I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to get some exercise. 
Uh, so I get my headphones. I get the Hillsong United worship radio station going on. I'm going to get my worship on. God's going to just fill me up with strength for the next day. He's going to refocus me and recenter me. I'm like, I got high hopes for this run. And so I'm a couple miles into this run and this song comes on and I don't even remember which song it was exactly, but I remember one lyric in that song and it was a lyric that praises the nature of God for being slow to anger. It was a lyric that praised Jesus for being slow to anger, for being patient. And as clearly as I felt I've ever heard God speak, in that moment, I feel like God stopped me, literally stopped me. I had to stop running because God was speaking and he said, Matt, who are you? Who are you to run around here and worship me for my slowness to anger, worship me for my nature, worship me for my character, and then be so confident and so cool and so casual about claiming that you're okay with your nature and it just doesn't line up. God says, there's a work I want to do in you, Matt. I want my nature to become your nature. I don't want you to be quick to anger. I don't want you to fly off the handle at Carmelita. I want you to see her the way I see her. That began a, a very long process of God just gradually freeing me from this instinct I had that actually robbed me of a full life. God freeing me from this anger that I had that caused all kinds of problems in my relationships. He began to reveal to me idols in my life and, and pride in, in my heart that it was so deeply rooted that that was, a, that was part of the anger. And then he began revealing to me things about his, his anger and how righteous it was and, and how good it was and the things that he gets angry at and how different they were from the things that I get angry at. And God begins doing this. And then he gradually begins changing the way I see students and people. And listen, this is, this is not a complete work. This is not a finished work. Ask my wife. Don't ask my wife. Well, she'll tell you it's not a complete work but I have this hope that there was that there is a humanity that Jesus had a nature so vastly different and that's going to become my nature and it's going to free me from things that rob me of full life look this season of Advent this season where we're going to do together we can do more and we're going to do so much for this world and we're going to bring hope all over the place God is going to do so much through us. My prayer is that amidst all of that God does through us, that there is going to be so much that God does in us. That this is a season where God is working in us and he's transforming us. I'm going to close with a prayer. Knuckles is going to lead us in a song. Listen, my prayer is this. This would be a season of God doing incredible work through us and incredible work in us. Let's pray. Father, you're so good. You are so perfect. Jesus, your nature is unlike any other. And your promises are true. God, will this be a season where you are working in our hearts, transforming our natures, freeing us, freeing us from the things that are part of our nature and our instincts that rob us of a full life. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.